this morning, I, uh, well, actually, so two days ago, uh, I had this sermon series all planned out. It was going to be about, you know, the home and, and what it takes to disciple people in the home. And you maybe have been watching the news where uh, this small thing has been happening in Afghanistan uh, where the Taliban has taken over. So let me tell you what happened over the past week. Uh, some of you may know that I, I did a little time with Uncle Sam back in the day. Uh, some of you may know that I work with a nonprofit that works with veterans and first responders. I tell you what, man, the, the network was lighting up. And I don't mean in a good way. I mean, veterans are, they're mad, they're sad, they're upset. And they're probably asking a lot of the same questions that you are too. It's like, what was the point? How did that happen so quickly? How could we have spent 20 years there preparing and then in less than two weeks, it's gone? Is anybody else feeling this frustration? Because the veterans are, and we're hearing all about it. I've, I heard from people in this past week I have not heard from in three years. And they're calling up going, hey, can we meet for breakfast? Yes, yes, we can. So the good news for your pastor is I've been eating well this week. <laughs> the bad news is there's a lot of anger out there and a lot of sorrow and a lot of wondering what now, what next. So I ditched the sermon that I had planned. The good news, Cindy, where are you, Cindy? The good news, Cindy, is that the sermon notes are good for next week. We're good to go. You'll hear what we were supposed to hear today next week, but today... I felt like I needed to talk about this, and I'm going to talk to two crowds of people this morning. I'm going to talk to my brothers and sisters in the arms, hey, Zena Project, and I'm going to talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's hopefully all of us. So we want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world, and here's um, the, the headlines were pretty extreme. You, you know the deal. Um, and then here's a, a story where they interviewed some veterans. I, I don't know where they got this information, but they said 71% of veterans are upset about Afghanistan. That's 71%, that's a pretty significant number. You know, the only reason I don't think it's 100% is they didn't contact the other 29%, right? Everybody's upset about this. Uh, you saw the pictures maybe of the, this is the inside of a C-17, uh, Air Force airlift to the rescue. Uh, but that is not normal seating. Now picture if you had a planned trip to wherever and you went to the airport, and you had bought your ticket through whatever airlines, and they sat you down like this. What would your reaction be? Oh, my God. And what's their reaction? Thank you, God. It's all about perspective, and it's kind of frightening. Now, here's why the veterans are upset, mad, and sad at the same time. Let me throw some numbers up here. On the original 9-11, they estimated 3,000 lives were lost. That's the World Trade Center. Through the course of a 20-year war, we experienced, just in the U.S., 2,448 killed and over 21,000 wounded. That's a pretty steep price. That's over 20 years. But here's the number that I want to share with you because the wounds aren't just physical and the wounds aren't just there. Does that get anybody's attention? Deaths by suicide in the last 20 years for veterans, 30,177. 10 times what we lost in 9-11, 12 times what we've lost in 20 years of war. There's a problem. There is a problem out there. So let's talk about what do we do now that we were in this situation. 
And how does that happen? And let me preface it this way. Today is not about politics. Today is not about who said what, when, where, and why. Today is about how can we learn some lessons as a church, and can we give some words of encouragement? And I'm not just talking to veterans because you all experience similar angst. I'm also talking to uh, those of you who are struggling with whatever life throws at you, whatever sense of loss you may feel, whatever sense of betrayal you may feel. I'm also talking to other first responders because while we we picture this thing in, in Afghanistan going south, picture being a police officer, working this every day for people who, who show less and less respect and more and more disorder. I've talked to several veterans uh, in the Vizina Project, but I've also talked to some uh, police and, and even EMT paramedics. And some of them who have a lot of experience are considering retiring because they're tired. Can't say I blame them. So this morning, let's talk about some things that I, I have told the Xena Project before and I will tell you today. So if you're watching out there, brothers and sisters in arms, I will remind you of this. Warriors live by principles, not by circumstances. And I found this really cool quote. A man of principle could be a woman, right? A man of principle never forgets what he is because of what others are. So what this means is that no matter what happens around us, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, no matter how bad it looks, we don't abandon what we believe in to our core. And we believe in things like honor, duty, responsibility. If you read any citation from the war, whether it's a decoration for bravery or even the greatest honor of all, the Medal of Honor, appropriately named honor, the verbiage is always the same. It talks about the selfless sacrifice, regarding personal safety, disregarding personal safety, repeatedly expose themselves to enemy fire, and so on and so on. The, the goal, the ideal being that this person was totally selfless in that moment without regard for their personal safety. They did what needed to be done. That's honor. And that's what we don't abandon no matter how bad it looks. We don't abandon honor. So why do I say this? Because this is not unique to veterans. This is not unique to first responders. This started way, way long ago. So while I will gladly quote whoever says things like this, you know who I'd rather quote? Thank you. Jesus. I knew it was coming. This is what Jesus has to say. The context for this, if you're playing the home game, is John 15. If you want to turn there, and it's John 15, 12 through 17. Now, to set the context here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's been doing ministry with them for about three years, and this is part of the great farewell discourse. So these are words that he's saying as he's preparing to leave them and, and turn over the mission to these 12 knuckleheads that he recruited along the way. So uh, I'm just going to read from up here because it's a little easier for me to read. This is what Jesus says. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I 
chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Jesus started this. We didn't come up with this. We're just mimicking the very best of ideals when it comes to what Jesus said, and more importantly, what Jesus did. Because if anyone knows about self-sacrificial love, well, that's Jesus. And so when we live into those ideals, when we live into that honor, we reflect the very best of Christ, even in the worst of circumstances. So one of the things I want to say to my brothers and sisters in arms out there is, you did well. You got nothing to be ashamed of. Don't let the world beat you down and think that what you did was a waste. It's not. What you did, I mean, just think about this for just a second. Think about, think about a 19-year-old girl in Afghanistan who has grown up with complete freedom to get an education, who has never known what it was to be under Taliban rule. Think about the freedom that was planted, that seed that was planted. And while they're burning certificates over there now so they can't prove that they've been educated because they'll be targeted by the Taliban, they have that education. That seed has been planted. Think about those families that, that were able to live in freedom to, to expand the business, to, to have opportunities that they've never had before for the past 20 years. That's been possible. Think about who's coming after you. Because even though this situation is a total, I'm searching for a word <laughs> that I can say in public. Because <laughs> when we talk in the veteran circles, I, I have to watch myself. I come back to church and I have to scrub my language a little bit because it, it tends to wear off. You know what I'm talking about. This situation is bad. Let's just say it's messed up. All right. But think about who's coming after you. Because where did you draw your inspiration from? probably from those who went before you and who had similar circumstances that were terrible, but they did the honorable thing. There's a picture that's going around. It uh, has a picture of the fall of Saigon in 1975. It's a helicopter lifting off the embassy roof, juxtaposed by another Chinook helicopter lifting off a roof of a building in Afghanistan. So it's funny how history repeats itself. And my question is, what would happen if we didn't have people who would stand up and do the right thing? I'll tell you what would happen. 20 years of repression. 20 years of that 19-year-old girl never having an education, never having an opportunity for it. And here's the thing that we don't know. We don't know what was prevented. Because if you have a place for people to sit down who are terrible, evil people, and you give them time to plan, bad things will happen. And we kept them on the run for 20 years, so we have no idea what how many attacks were prevented by people sacrificing and doing the right thing. You did well. So don't let the world uh, tear you down. Don't get discouraged either. Because even though you may not still be in that uniform, you still have a role to play. You still have something that you can contribute. And while I'm also talking to first responders, I would say that maybe you didn't do this in Afghanistan, but maybe you do it every day in the streets of Houston or Fulcher, or Fort Bend County, or wherever you are. Can you imagine what this world 
this, I'm not talking Afghanistan, I'm talking this world would be like without that. That, that thin veneer of civilization, civilization can be ripped away in an instant. And we're seeing it in spades in Afghanistan. The first responders see it every day in various ways. So I just want to encourage uh, all of you to don't let your principles go by the wayside. Don't let go of that very thing that will support you, that will put your feet on the rock. Because frankly, we need you. The thing I guess I would say is don't forget that greater love is still greater than anything the world can throw at us. Even though it looks bad, greater love is greater still. That's to my Xena brothers and sisters and all first responders and veterans everywhere. Thank you. Now to us. So you may be asking like I am, why did this happen and how did it happen so quickly? And if you just said two weeks ago, hey, Bill, the Taliban's going to completely take over Afghanistan, I would have said, no way. Today I say, how did that happen? That was the most rapid disintegration I think we've seen in our modern history. I want to address a couple things. Now, there are a myriad of causes over there, but I want to address two in particular that have come up again and again because they apply to us as well as a warning. The first one is corruption. As you look past what we've been doing over there with the nation building, there's a lot of rampant corruption in, in the government. And so when aid dollars come in, there are people who would skim off the top. Aid dollars that were designed to buy equipment, aid dollars that were designed to pay the Afghan National Army or their police force were skimmed off the top. In fact, there were reports of some police not having been paid for the last eight months. So picture this. You're not well off to begin with. You're trying to feed a family. You haven't been paid for eight months and some dude wearing a turban and carrying an AK comes up and says, I can fix your problem for you, like today. What are you going to do? That's because of widespread corruption. There's also uh, what they call ghost, ghost soldiers. Ghost soldiers are where they padded the books because you get so much money per soldier so that you can pay them. Well, if I've got 100 soldiers, but I tell you I have 200 soldiers, I get 200's worth of money and I take 100 for myself. There's not 200 soldiers, there's 100. And nobody knows that but me, the guy cooking the books. And oh, by the way, I'm living pretty good while everybody else is suffering. Widespread corruption, lack of principles. You can see the theme starting to emerge. When we live outside of principles, we start to live with circumstances. But warriors don't live by circumstance, we live by principles. And I could say the same thing if I just substituted that word for Christians. Christians don't live by circumstances. Christians live by principles. The other thing that uh, was noted is the focus. Now I'm talking about the, the everyday Joes and Janes of the world there. Their focus by tradition is primarily tribally based. So they think about their tribe before they think about any other allegiance. Uh, in many cases with the Afghan National Army, we're seeing cases where they were thinking about themselves. Drug use was rampant. Uh, attendance at training was terrible. 
how to use the equipment, you know, the, the basic classes that you're supposed to have to know how to work these things. Many of them couldn't work the equipment that they were given. So what chance did they really have? Now, it wasn't for lack of effort, and I'm back to the Xena Project guys for just a second. You did good. You did well. This is on them. So the focus on self and the tribalism makes stovepipes, because right? I'm more aligned to my tribe than I am to a bigger ideal. And so what happens when I start getting attacked? Well, I'm going to take care of my tribe. And I may even abandon my post to go travel to where my tribe is to protect them or try to get out of the country or whatever it is that I'm doing. But I'm not going to stand there and fight because my allegiance to my tribe is greater than my allegiance to this ideal called freedom. Now, why do I belabor this point? <laughs> because I, I think there are some, some parallels here. And let me show you what I mean. I wish that showed up a little bit better, but bear with me. Uh, we talked about uh, corruption, focus on self, tribalism. This is a graph of church membership among U.S. adults since 1937. This is a Gallup poll. This is the first time they started recording uh, the percentage of people that declared a church membership in, since 1937. So because you probably can't see the, the, the numbers, I, I'm not so worried about numbers as I am about trends. So if you can see the green line since 1937, pretty consistent. 70 to 73% of people declared a church membership. Uh, ironically, there's a small spike around 2000, 2001. Anybody remember what happened then? Oh, 9-11. All of a sudden, we recognize, oh my gosh, we can't just live by circumstances. There must be a greater principle that I can reach out to. And they found God. And then life got good. And look what's happened since. This is U.S. membership. Look at the trend. For the first time since the Gallup poll started recording in 1937, less than 50% of people in America declare a church membership. And it, the trend is not good. So the reason I say this is we aren't that different than the crumbling Afghan army if we don't change something. We could be setting ourselves up, church, for the fastest disintegration of Christianity in North America has ever witnessed. I'm trying not to alarm people, but gosh, you've got to say something. So, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. So, you know how there's ghost soldiers? We say there's this many, but there's not really. In North America, there's actually ghost Christians. Because we have on the books all these people, but where are they? We have rosters that have hundreds and hundreds of people, but they're not here. Now, that's not to say you can't take some time off. That's fine. That's not to say that you can't be a Christian outside these walls. Absolutely. In fact, you should be more Christian out there than you are here. But I wonder, are we letting this opportunity go? Are we setting ourselves up to be overrun by an enemy who knows how to pick us apart to make stovepipes, to drive us into tribalism. In church speak, we call that denominations. It's still tribalism. We don't have a higher ideal that we're willing to bond around and die for. And I wonder how long it takes. Will we see it in our lifetime? I don't know. There's a, 
there's a sick part of me that says, I, I hope we do, because then maybe I can do something about it. Because what I don't want to do is hand this off to my grandkids. But maybe that's the way it's going to be. I don't know. So looking at my calendar, um, looking at my to-do list, before I was a pastor and I worked for a church, because let's just admit up front, that skews everything, Right? It's like, you can't judge my church attendance based on anybody else's. This is my job, right? Now, would I be here without this being my job? <clears throat> I'll let you decide. But just, just take that aside for a second. So the average person, if you look at the average person in North America, and you look at a busy, busy calendar, what's the first category of thing that's most likely to be cut from the schedule? Exercise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I heard a few people whispering church. Yeah, yeah, man, you know, I'm so busy. I, I just, you know, I, I don't think I'll make it to, to Bible study. Yeah, I'm so tired. I just don't think I can make it to church today. Our kids are scheduled so thin, we can't make it to youth group. Am I trying to guilt you into coming? No. But I am trying to make us aware that if we don't change the course of the direction that we're headed, the future is going to inherit something terrible. Does that mean that it has to be here on this campus? Not necessarily, but it has to be. So what I would rather that we ask ourselves this morning is not how many hours do I log in a building, but how many hours do I log with Jesus? And how much of that comes back out of me? Because it's not just a matter of taking in that's the problem with the Afghan army. If they can take in with just for me, 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 and I'm good, it doesn't mean everybody else is good. The whole point of Christ has never been about just me. The point of Christ is to let that come out. The point of Christ is we. And so as we look at the culture around us and we see signs of decay and signs of people who live by circumstances but not principles, we have something to offer. We have something beautiful to offer. But are we trained in how to use our equipment? Are we willing to stand for that higher ideal than to retreat into our tribalism and do what we want to do for me? This, this is a hard one, y'all. I thought about this. So some of the things that, that uh, we, we can think about there's a thing called critical mass. You may be familiar with this, but uh, we, we see this all. I'll just use youth group because this is a, a prime example. If you have a certain number that gets below, I don't know, what would you say, Liz, eight maybe, eight kids or less, then attendance really drops off. But if you can get above 15, then all of a sudden it starts to grow. It's amazing, critical mass. You get enough people around an idea and you get enough energy around it, it takes a life of its own. So that's what I'm more interested in, is that we give Jesus life by being here. Your presence might make the difference between someone deciding to follow Jesus or not. Now, I don't mean to put this on you. This is not pressure on you. I'm just saying, if I show up on, uh, let's say I'm, uh, let's really stretch your imagination. Let's say I'm 20 years old. <laughs> and I show up and I look around a congregation and I say, there's nobody, uh, nobody my age. Am I going to come back? Maybe not. Maybe I'll go elsewhere, but you know what I'll probably do? I'll probably just not go anywhere. How tragic. That's why it's so important that we have a connectional 
ministry, that we connect people. And that's one of the things I want to talk about in next week's open house, is that you figure out how we can all help people connect to this thing called Jesus Christ and become a Jesus follower. So I think it's important. We talk about uh, our, our ability to make it to church or not. I, I will tell you that a friend of mine that I went to seminary with wrote a piece on Facebook that, that caused me to read it like three times. It's like, whoa. It, it was a prayer request. It was written yesterday, and he says, do you realize that at 11 o'clock tonight, this is last night, there will be churches in Afghanistan whose service time will be starting. And those churches will probably be filled because do you know where one of the fastest growing churches in the world is right now? Afghanistan. Not by numbers, but by percentage. And there will be pastors whom the Taliban has already said, we know who you are, and we'll be coming after you. And do you know what these churches will do, uh, or did this Sunday morning? They met. And he said, we don't know what's going to happen, but I know this, they will be targeted. Just because they walked in the door, they will be targeted. Their names will be on a list. And people will know who they are. Can you imagine, hey, honey, I'm going to church. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. I can't imagine that. And yet in North America, our, our biggest concern is not what we make at home. It's like, oh, I could use a little extra sleep. There, there's a problem here. And we are in a unique opportunity to be able to do something about it. So my encouragement is, let, let's not get guilted into this. That's not my intent. But my encouragement is to say, look, there's a situation that we have an answer for. There's something that we can do to make a difference in this world. And it has to start now because when, if you wait until it's time to do it and you don't know how to do it, it's too late. Ask the Afghan army. But if we prepare now, we can turn the tide. I'm convinced that this is possible or I wouldn't be saying it. So here's what I say. If we don't start living by principles, we will end up living by circumstances. That's the, the thin veneer of civilization that gets peeled back. That's the chaos that comes without principles. So as Jesus shared these words in that context, in that farewell discourse, he was telling them right then, that I will be turned over, I will be crucified. He described everything that would happen and told him he would come back again. And in that final farewell discourse, he said, there is no greater love than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. The one thing that kept coming back to me, and I, I hesitate to say this because I, I don't want to make light of the situation in Afghanistan, and I don't want to make light of, of the suffering that's going on or the, the veterans that are mad, sad, and, and all those other things, but... Here's the question that kept popping up as I looked at, how could that happen? 20 years, billions of dollars, thousands of lives lost. How could it happen so fast? And you know what question came in my head? I wonder if this is what God feels. Let that sink in for just a second. Because this is the way God sees it. God sent his son, his very best. He invested time in disciples. He invested them with a mission to share good news around the world, to teach, to baptize, to, to show love. Not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law. And no sooner his son hadn't even left the earth yet, no sooner than that, we're already back to our old ways. How could it happen so fast? 
How can we go back to what was before? I wonder if that's how God feels. And then this, the second thought that followed that pretty, pretty shortly thereafter was, that's not a surprise to God. God knew what we would do. God knew that he could offer his very best, and we would turn and we would do stupid stuff again all over again. But God did it anyway. That's what's different. And God would do it again. But it doesn't need to be done again. That's the majesty, the beauty of Christ. That's the honor behind self-sacrificial love. That not knowing if they would accept that gift of freedom or not, he gave his life. What will we do with that? It's there. It's free for the taking. It, it, it's costly to Jesus, but free to us. Will we take the gift? Will we run with what opportunity has been given to us? Or we, just like what's happening over across the pond, turn back to the old, terrible ways? See, we have a choice. They don't. So choose well. What can we do? Well, I didn't want to leave you with all this heaviness and then say good luck. So here's a few suggestions. The first one is to pray. The closer we get to God, the better we'll know what we can do about it. And when I say pray, I don't just mean spew words at him. I mean take some time to listen. What's God telling you in your heart? Where can you make an impact? What are those gifts, talents, abilities, and experience that are latent in you now but could be energized for the kingdom of God? And I'm not trying to convince you that you have to do all of this or you have to do any of this. What we have to do is open up and let God work through us. I guarantee if we would just do that, we could see a vast difference in the world around us because that's how God works. That's his design. The other one is uh, get serious about dying to self. Jesus says that too. That's not one of the more popular things. That's not like one of the things that you put on your fridge, right? It's not one of those things that you say to cheer people up. Hey, I see you're down. How about dying to self? Nobody says that ever. But that's what Jesus says. And dying to self might be literal, like I, I, I would give my life for someone. But here's the harder one. It, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to die for someone. It's not. But the harder one is to live for someone. What do I mean by that? By that relationship that's just persnickety, that, that person that you're trying to share Christ with and they're always grumpy, that coworker that you just swear is the devil incarnate, but you still want to represent Christ. You all probably have somebody in your head right now, right? So dying to self means I'm going to live by that principle. I'm not going to let these circumstances drag me down into whatever's going on here. We have that opportunity. And then the last thing is, I would adopt a warrior ethos. Now, <laughs> I have to be careful when I say this. I'm not talking the Crusades. I'm not standing, you know, let's all stand up, take up arms, and go over to Afghanistan. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I, there is something about a warrior ethos that says, I, I would give all. This is um, a sign outside of an army base. I... <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to admit it. I'm going to use army stuff, but it's the last time, I swear, all right? Because <laughs> it represents the idea that I'm trying to get across. This is the, the warrior ethos of the United States Army. It says, I will always place the mission first. 
What's our mission words, sir? Bang, making disciples. I will always place that first. I will never accept defeat. No, I turned down my invocation to church. I guess I'm done. No, right? I will never quit. Oh, you know, this Jesus stuff doesn't seem to be working out for me. Give it time. Some, that's the way it works sometimes. Sometimes it's the struggle that makes us stronger. Sometimes it's the, the trouble that gives us deep roots. And those deep roots are the ones that will keep us alive when it gets tough. It's not like God doesn't know what he's doing. I will never quit. And I will never leave a fallen comrade. Oh, it looks like Bob fell off the wagon. Well, good luck. Looks like Jane's having some trouble. Ah, I don't want to be around that negativity. I'm being sarcastic, but you get the idea. This of all places, and when I say this, Word Serve Family, Xena Project, of all places, should be a place where no one gets left behind. Should be. It's up to us whether it is or not. And here's what I would say in closing. While evil looks terrible, while evil is very drastic, and if you are living in Afghanistan now, I don't need to tell you this. It's terrible. But I can tell you this as well. It's temporary. Name any evil dynasty in the world, no matter how evil it's been, how, you know, Genghis Khan, the Mongol hordes, Chinese dynasties, Hitler, Stalin, Taliban, whoever. They don't last. Where are, where are all those old things now? And while they did incredibly terrible things over many years, and if you're alive during that time, it is terrible, and it might be your entire lifetime, but where are they now? They don't last. Evil doesn't last. Evil is temporary, and we have to remember that no matter how great the scope in our lifetime. But here's the thing I really want us to remember. While evil doesn't last, <laughs> evil doesn't win. That's the good news. So what I would say then, just to wrap this up, no matter what we're facing, no matter what it looks like in the present, greater love is greater still. Greater love can overcome whatever we're experiencing in this world, but only if it has disciples that carry it out, that put the mission first. Greater love is the love that wins because greater love is a principle and Christians live by principles not by circumstances will you pray with me oh God we thank you that in the midst of chaos and strife you bring good news we thank you that your spirit is alive and among us God, I pray forgiveness when I take you lightly or I just put you aside as a thing that I'll do in an emergency but don't live with you day to day. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears this morning to see how we might be a part of a solution to the world around us and not a contributor to the problem. God, break through the layers of whatever it is that we've put up between us and you, whether that's just keeping busy so we don't have to think about the deeper things, whether that's apathy that we've, our love has grown cold, whether that's whatever situation we find ourselves in, that we don't turn to you. God, make this a new start for us. 
I pray that we don't leave this place just a little better. I pray that we leave this place brand new as we shed the old and take on the newness of Christ. Help us to walk in the path that you have given us, even if it looks scary. Because, God, your word promises that no matter where we go, you will be there with us, that your rod and your staff will guide us, protect us, comfort us, and keep us in your care. God, this is our prayer this morning, that we not live by the world's circumstances, but that we live by your principles of love and truth and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.